Hey everyone, this is Philip from Hail Reaper. On today's episode, we have a fun discussion about the color hierarchy within the world of Red Rising. And later we talk about the Red Rising board game. We wanna give a spoiler tag for books one through three, a few things slip and slide here and there. So just have your ears out for that. And lastly, I wanna give a big shout out to some new people that joined our Patreon just this last week. They entered our Discord community and now have dope new Howler names. So shout out to Folio, shout out to Chronicle, shout out to Mix, and shout out to Sono. If you wanna become a Hail Reaper patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper and get an awesome Howler name. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend, Jeremy. What's going on, dude? And this is my regular friend, Mathar. What's going on, Mathar? Hello, Philip. This is a, this is a lazy Sunday. Man, I love Sundays. Why do you love Sundays? There's a couple of reasons I love Sunday. One, it feels like everybody else has like other stuff that they're doing, so no one can bug me. Like everyone's got, like, I always feel like everyone's got church or family or like Picnics. you know um they're also relaxing and don't want to be bothered and so like sunday is the one day i can count on that like almost no one will bug me and then i think i really appreciate that day and that coincidence because when i was a kid sundays were just like you had to be up early because you had to get ready for church you know, then we had like stuff after church and then we had, I had to do chores and then we went back to ch- Sundays were the worst. It was wow. so much church, so much chores. And <laughs> so like, much church, just, so much yeah, chores. and it sucked. And I don't know why, like, I, also my parents used to make me take a nap. Like I am not a person who has mm-hmm. ever napped, but my parents would make me, and I'm not talking about like a four-year-old child. I'm talking about a child, like I was probably like nine, (laughs) maybe 10 by the time they made me, like let me stop taking naps. What's up with that? Who makes a 10 year old child lay down for a nap? I've got way too much energy. Send me outside to run around. That would have been so much more effective. (laughs) Were you a crank? Um, uh, Maybe, (laughs) that's possible. (laughs) I was not an easy child by any means. Um, But yeah, so Sundays for me were just always full of like, I'd say, what I call obligation. And so Sundays now I try to make absent of that and it's my favorite day. I have a story similar to yours. My parents also used to make me take naps on Sunday afternoon for no reason, but we struck a bargain because this didn't work because I don't think I was 10, but I was like seven, eight. And so I, I I would never sleep through them. So I took Instead of taking a nap, I would build a fort. They let me build fort and then stay in the fort. Um, so <laughs> they just wanted but, to get rid of you. Yes, exactly. So I would. <laughs> I had one that was underneath the desk in the kitchen. It was a little office area, and I would just drape a you know just basic, really, really basic fort stuff here. Yeah. Drape a uh, blanket in front of that, and then I would sneak out. And I was already in the kitchen. I was already in the kitchen, and I would take a piece of bread. I'd toast it. Put a little butter on it put a little bit of garlic on it, 
garlic powder. This is like kid stuff, right? This is okay. kid chef. And then put a little salt on it. And I called it favorite bread. And then I ate like five or six pieces. Nice. And that was like my normal Sunday routine. Your favorite bread. Oh my favorite God. Bread. That's the cutest thing I've ever heard. This is like six, seven year old Philip right now. Next time we're all together, we're going to have some favorite bread. Favorite together. bread? Yeah. I, I can't wait to have favorite. Wait, what was on favorite bread again? Okay. So it's toasted bread with mm-hmm. butter. Then it's garlic powder and uh salt that's favorite bread oh god that is the recipe maybe i won't have that but it sounds (laughs) like a fun treat for a child i'm assuming we need like iron kids bread to make this work properly too (laughs) probably it has to be like just the whitest white bread yeah it was probably was i don't remember now but it was probably like just super crazy wonder bread or whatever people thought was healthy back in the 90s for sure yeah. yeah remember pop chips or not pop chips what were they called I'm thinking of those ones that had like olestrin or whatever. What ah? What were they called? I the ones no that made idea. you like go. They like they, they had like made you go. Yeah, they like made you poop. Okay, I'm looking this up. <laughs> you guys keep talking. I'm looking up the bad chips. Your parents bought you laxative chips. Yes. So these chips were called Wow chips. I hope people remember what I'm talking about. They were completely fat free and they tasted just like Lay's Doritos and Ruffles. But they had a chemical in them called Olestra, and it caused anal leakage. I remember <laughs> eating these in the 90s. This this, um, this is like, I'm this looking at this article now. This is not in the podcast. Yeah, no no. <laughs> <laughs> but they were perceived as healthy because they were fat-free. But, and I they tasted why. good. <laughs> yeah, but Olestra caused anal leakage. We know so, what happened to all the fat now. Yeah, we just went right through you, <laughs> right through you. Ugh, uh, and when gross. I think of Lazy Sunday, I just think of the Chrono What Calls in Narnia. That's what I'm thinking. We were talking about how today's a Lazy Sunday for Mathar. It was Lazy Sunday for me. Made a fruit salad or helped make a fruit salad. Uh, got coffee. Just chill. It was like, I mean, it was awesome. You, remember, you know what I'm talking about? Like the SNL, like Chrono yes. What Calls in Narnia? Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. That's like my favorite sketch like ever. I'm glad the two of you had a Lazy Sunday. I did well, not, so. What was that, Busy Sunday? Well, I just got up early and put myself on a bike and exercised did nice you and have, hard. Did you have favorite bread? I had no favorite bread, no. <laughs> okay. But my favorite bread was always cinnamon sugar toast growing yeah. up. Same. That was my thing. And I make like six or eight pieces of it. Mm, six or eight? Yeah, because my parents wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is good times. Now, that's some chronic what knows of, wait, <laughs> chronic, chronic what? what calls of Narnia. Calls of Narnia. Yeah, I couldn't say it. <laughs> that's some, some cinnamon toast bread is uh, my jam too. It's wonderful. The cereal is good. I don't really have, I never had that much. That was the original. Cereal is good. That was the I original was. avocado <laughs> toast. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. We got Fractal's question on deck. Let's do this. Let's transition from Lazy Sundays to hard-hitting, fun times that uh, circles through. Oh no! Oh no, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> you thought I was gonna forget. I actually thought this is over. It's not over. Okay, Mathar, introduce the show. <laughs> All right, welcome to Found. It's a podcast inside the Hail Reaper podcast. And uh, we take lost and forgotten subplots TV shows, lost and forgotten movies, and maybe books, and we try to fill in the gaps for you. Uh, I am taking us off the rails this week. I I thought about it, and I realized that as much as I like talking about 
all the the lost plot lines and the show lost, there are just so many more out there. And so rather than just burn through all the ones in Lost, I wanted to take us to another ancient property, dig something up here, a long lost plot line that uh, I thought maybe we could discuss and uh, give the fans the closure that they've been longing for for so long. So here we go. Okay. (laughs) I'm so excited for this one. Okay. This one uh, comes to us all the way from the year 1990. Do you guys remember the classic 80s sitcom ALF? Oh, yes, totally. Absolutely. So for those who don't know what ALF was, it was a furry (laughs) alien living with like a typical suburban family. Um, It kind of came off the coattails of the success Mm -hmm. of Jim Henson's Muppets. Despite that, it got cut short in its fourth season. And the very, very last episode features ALF getting arrested by the U.S. Alien Task Force. And it was like the final cliffhanger. And for what was like previously a comical show, it took on a very serious tone. And that made it getting cut much more frustrating. Nobody could understand like why such a popular show didn't get a proper ending. There was supposed to be a fifth season to introduce new characters and wrap everything up. But apparently it was the costs and there was tension on the set from like technical nightmares that made it like never happen. So, wow. I'm really curious where this is going. I'm really curious. (laughs) I want to talk about what you think would have happened in that fifth season. What do you think happened to Alf? Did he get Mm. taken in, dissected, or did he find a way to make it home to where, I forget where he was from, but some planet that like, yeah. He liked cats. I can't remember all the details he about ate Al, cats. Or he wanted to this eat makes cats. So much, it makes this so much juicier. All right. I'll take this first if you don't mind. Go for it, please. So you talked about the series kind of going a little more dramatic instead of comedic. And we all know that at the start of the 90s, you had a lot of hospital dramas uh, beginning. Yeah. So what they were really trying to do is <laughs> just retain their jobs. And they wanted to spin Alf off into a hospital drama. And we all know when Alien Task Force pick you up, they have to have you vetted and checked out uh, for vitals and everything at a hospital. So this is what they were going to do. They were actually going to take Alf there, and then the new actors in the show for the spinoff were going to come in, and they were going to do the baton handoff. Okay, so what you're saying is that the fifth season of Alf was going to be a little more like Doogie Hauser, where they bring in some hotshot doctor. Or, or are you saying that Alf becomes a member of the... <laughs> The yeah, well, at the hospital. he has a lot of abilities. So yeah, Doogie Hauser was actually like 89. <laughs> so he might have joined the Doogie Hauser staff uh, wow. in 90. Okay. Or 91, okay, so I guess it would have been. Philip, why don't you piggyback off of this? So we know that Alf gets abducted, but rather than being subjected to experiments, they've recognized his innate abilities and want to put him to work as this For unlikely sure. newest hotshot doctor. <laughs> What's the name <laughs> of the hospital, do you think? What Do, do you guys Jeremy. want to give the hospital name real quick? Mercy Medical. So we start yeah. season five at Mercy Medical. And you at first you think Alf's going to be in the hospital bed. But instead of being in the hospital bed, it's someone else who's just like been wheeled in on a cart. Like it's all dramatic, like lights and cops and everybody coming in and like, no, we need to get him 50 cc's. And they're like rolling into the room. And then Alf walks in in a doctor's coat. And it's like, <laughs> everybody out of the way. And, and <laughs> I think that's an Alf voice. I don't know. I think that was. It's actually was. pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I'm okay, Philip. I'm ready. I'm ready. So I'm just going to kind of coattail here. Alf finds allies within the government and they think that his existence should be announced to the entire world and he should just be treated as equal. You know, he, it's like, yeah, you're a different race. This is an inclusive society. You're pretty smart. You're from another planet. Let's just make you a doctor. 
Part of what I just said is actually the ALF movie that came out. It was a made-for-TV movie that came out in 1996. I didn't even know that. Which I watched <laughs> as a kid and had on VHS. Oh, wow. Okay, so they did resolve it. They did resolve it. Yeah. In a made-for-TV movie. In a made-for-TV movie. Well, yeah, I think they, you're... I think you're lying and I just, hold on, let me, <laughs> No, it's I just Googled Project, it and you're lying. You made that up. It's called Project Elf. You can, anyone can look this up right now. It's called Project Elf and you can find it. I'm looking right now at the IMDb page. So I nailed it. Yes and no. I think they just make him a member of society, but maybe he became a doctor. I like that theory a lot. So here's what I think happened, right? Go for it. Let me, let me put a nice little bow on this. So he gets arrested taken to an underground secret bunker somewhere. They ask him a series of questions and they determine that he's fit to join society along the way, discovering that he has these innate abilities. And then they put him to work at Mercy Medical. He gets like a whole nice, like six to eight episode run as a doctor. And then he makes a terrible mistake, uh, loses his medical license. You think the show is going to end on this really down note, but then he finds a new life in a new suburban home and he has learned to love the cats. He's now like taking them in and this is how the show ends. And his original TV family comes to visit him. (laughs) No, you don't like it, Jeremy? (laughs) Jeremy's shaking his head. No, I got this, I got this. But, But really, but really, this was all a dream that Alf wakes up from oh, to realize no, you just lost he's it in the bunker. He's in the, you know, he's in the bunker on the island of Lost, pressing the button like Desmond would press it before that thing comes down. So it it's all comes back. Wait, hold on, hold on real fast. Wait, wait, hold on. Yeah, NBC? Yeah, you want you wanna you wanna make a Lost podcast with us? We're, oh my okay, gosh, Phillip's guys. getting a call the, from NBC is the calling lead, right now. The lead honchos wow. at uh, NBC. $45 million. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Okay. Lost and Found has been greenlit, guys. We are good to go. We now have a Lost podcast. <laughs> oh, God. We did it. Now you can do your question. We, yeah, now we can actually talk Red Rising. Um, we got another fractal question on deck. This is a really fun one. I'm excited to hear Mathar's answer because you told me yesterday that you had a good one on deck for this. That was a lie. So Pierce Brown gives you a phone call and he's like, hey, I want your advice because I want to add to the color hierarchy. Give me something new. This can be a new color or it can be a sub color or a hybrid color. What would you come up with, Mathar? Oh, I get to go first. Okay. Yeah, go for it. So this one's easy because it's based on my own uh, fictional character background. Uh, mm. Broadcast is actually part red. And in my head canon, it's their father that is a red mother's family are golds, raised in gold society. But always kind of kept out of the public eye because they have this shock of strawberry blonde hair. And so strawberry is the subcolor that I'm going to go with. Strawberry. <laughs> Not to pander, but it makes sense. Like I was like, I always imagined the character with strawberry blonde hair, which would be really odd for a, a gold to have, I think, unless it was like, you know, dyed or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I like the idea of rather than a bronzy, you know, which I don't really know what bronzies are in the world of Red Rising. Cause I, I mean, we find out later, you know, spoilers, we find out later, like, about Severo's origins. But anyway, in my mind, I think like red and gold would make a strawberry. 
and that's what that's what I'm going with. I like this answer. I am a one that also has strawberry blonde hair, so I feel very included <laughs> in this society that you've just helped create, Mathar. So thank yeah, you. not like I'm. I'm imagining not like the 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 bright red or the intense red of like mm-hmm. uh, natural born red, but like just definitely would stand out. I think their eyes also are like kind of a rose gold, or like what? a yeah, kind of a pinkish hue, and when we mm-hmm. with like flecks of gold, and that to me is like a, like the the red skin of the strawberry with like the little light seeds on it and everything that maybe that's like what it kind of looks like and i just i like the idea of this like weird gold red hybrid that shouldn't exist but somehow does so i like that because it i think it's cool that you take the bottom and the top of the pyramid in like that kind of world and then kind of merge them together i think that's really unique i like that and and kind of a fun detail that i wanted to include in my character if we ever get around to doing like character art is um I imagine that once they kind of like join the resistance, um, you know, once they become part of like trying to bring down the society uh, and because they're innately kind of reclusive, I imagine that they had their hands carved. So born with, I don't know if, I don't know if born with or had them carved like that, but I like the idea somehow of them having a gold sigil in one hand and a red on the other. Whoa. I just think that'd be so cool. Um, And that would be like sort of representing like the pride between both like houses it's your canon so go for it yeah sure uh, i mean that's the, yeah. that's a personal thing but yeah i think like a, a strawberry color would be really neat there you go i'm gonna go next then uh we'll have uh jeremy round it out i want to do a sub color because we have some sub colors that are interesting we have like or like we have different kind of casts within a color you know red low red high red and then you have you know pink you've got a rose and you just got more standard you've got stained for obsidian which is like another kind of a more honored area of the obsidian cast system so i wanted to do that for violet and i'm calling this indigo so it's basically Ooh. it's an so what that is and this might be not that interesting of an answer i think the color name is actually more interesting than, than the answer <laughs> is but I like the idea of an indigo being a born and bred performer, like being the elite of the elite in every single like kind of uh, type of like performance, whether that's acting, that's dancing, that's playing, like being an insane multi-instrumental, multi-instrumentalist. I just like the idea of someone that can be on a stage and execute at the highest level possible, no matter what it is. Because I think I'm always amazed personally when you see a musician that's like insanely good, but then you put them in front of a screen. They're also a good actor. I hate those kind of people. I'm like, oh, why are you so good at everything? But how cool would it be if we, there was like a, a type or a sub color that was just born and bred to do exactly that, just to be fascinating. Anytime they were like on a HC or in front of a camera or anything, they just completely do whatever they want. I think that would be something that I'd like to see. But at the same time, I kind of think that maybe violets would have some of that potential already but this would just be like the upper echelon of that so it's not necessarily like saying that violets can't do that now i'm just saying this is like an insane level of or insane degree of that kind of talent that's what my answer would be i like that it's really cool there we go jeremy yeah my mind uh somehow went directly to yanni (laughs) (laughs) that well that was you know the indigo uh, of all indigo a star if there ever was born one Mm -hmm. yeah all right so I had, a, I had a bit of a tough time with this, so um, it, it might just be proven false what I say, but we're just going to try it. Do it. So I'm going with uh, turquoise. 
I was trying to think of already into it. How to stick a color in there that isn't already a color? So, so it's, we're okay. going turquoise. So new, new color, color. Mm-hmm. new color. I forget who it was. I was having a conversation. It might have been with Mathar. Um, I, I don't remember, but uh, it wasn't specifically about this. But it was just about social work in general. And I started thinking like, well, the world of Red Rising would still have to have social workers. And then I got to thinking like, well, where would they fit in? And I couldn't place them anywhere. I mean, you could you could kind of make I don't know. What could you, I mean, brown, that doesn't really fit. The bureaucracy of coppers, that doesn't fit because social workers are like good people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that doesn't, that doesn't happen. They really don't, to me, have a place. So they didn't when I was thinking about this. So there are many other, you know, job categories and things like that that would fit into my turquoise color. But uh, primarily I was thinking of social workers when I, when I came up with this idea. Well, what I really like about this is the question, you know, it's it's figurative, right? So like it kind of presupposes like the establishment of like the current hierarchy. So this is Pierce Brown calling you up as he's working on like, you know, one of the original trilogy novels to say like, I think I might squeeze another color in there. What do you think? And in that case, I think, you know, turquoises would be you know, they would exist, but they wouldn't have like their true calling, right? They would maybe fit more into like one of the other sort of job roles. Uh, social workers probably weren't really prevalent in uh, an oppressive, <laughs> like, you know, autocracy. <laughs> so it's like, I think um, that's one way to go with it. But the way that you've chosen to go is really cool to me because maybe turquoise isn't like your hair isn't turquoise or your eyes aren't turquoise. Maybe you're a member of another color that comes into this new job title where it's like, hey, we need social workers. And we have people that have those skill sets and the desire to be social workers in this new society. And they take up this new like color system. Uh, maybe they go to a carver and, you know, get tuned up for some some new skills. And maybe they get an injection of empathy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> empathy injection. Uh, it's, it's a monthly injection. Yeah, so you become a turquoise. Maybe you get carved to be turquoise. I want to put this question up on Twitter and possibly Instagram or like a story or something like that if it works because I think that we could find a lot of listeners might have some really cool stuff to say because I think it's a it is an interesting question. I probably could ask you guys more uh, questions about I this. I could talk about uh, this go, a lot more. Yeah, yeah it's such it, a good one. It's world building and it's kind of talking about what if or what could be and it's just like Red Rising adjacent but you're getting to create your own like kind of or attach your own like system of thinking to it. I love that. Well, and that that's part of like, I, I love role-playing games so much, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, gaming in this episode. And so this this was the perfect pairing with that because it scratches that world building uh, itch to, to be able to like add your own, inject your own ideas and your own lore into something. So uh, thank you so much, Fractal, for this question. You always kill it. And this is absolutely one of my favorites. So if you are listening to this episode uh, and you want to answer that question, we'll put it up on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Instagram, it ends up in the stories and you can tell us what you think. And maybe later we'll, we'll, you know, post some of our favorites back on the feed. Um, and if you want to get involved, uh, in answering these questions on a weekly basis, we do all of that in our discord. And the way to get connected is go to patreon.com slash reaper, and you can sign up at the $5 tier and you get access to our discord where we do all of this fun stuff. Thanks again to Fractal, and uh, thank you, Philip, for bringing the question to the show. For sure. Let's go and take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side of the break. The three of us are going to talk about the Red Rising board game and our thoughts. Hail Reaper is brought to you this week by Tarikian Law. If you're seeking legal counsel or you're in a situation that you're not sure how to handle, Tarikian Law might just be the answer. 
They offer a free consultation to assess your situation because not every attorney is the right professional for the job. The great thing about Tarigian Law is that there's no double-speak, no confusing language, no upfront commitment. It's just a conversation with someone who wants to understand what you're going through and help you get to the next step. Getting started is easy. Just call 559-627-5399 or visit tarigianlaw.com on the whole net. That's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com. No matter the circumstance, we all deserve peace of mind. So stop sitting with the uncertainty and get the advice you need today. Once again, that's T-O-R-I-G-I-A-N-L-A-W.com or call 559-627-5399. Tarigian Law. The advice you need, minus the BS. We are back from break. We have the Red Rising board game right in front of us right now. At least, Jeremy, and I do. I know that Mathar is looking at stuff online, but... I'm looking at the digital version. Yeah, it's a, it's there. It's beautiful regardless. Jamie at Stonemeyer Games, uh, the creator of the game, along with his friend Alex, uh, sent us over a collector's edition, which was so fun to pour through and just then look at. And we want to get there. We want to talk about the Red Rising board game. But to get kind of a, a reference point... We thought it'd be fun to share our individual experiences with board games uh, growing up or how they play a role in our lives now. So I'm going to ask Mathar first, kind of give us your general like, kind of timeline or experience or share something about board games that uh, you love or just whatever you want to talk about. Oh, man. Tabletop gaming is such a huge part of my life. I, I really struggled with where to even begin. So to just kind of sum it up. I spend most of my time because not only because I am, you know, because we've been in a pandemic, but I live in Phoenix and I don't have like a large community here. Uh, all of my friends are back on the West Coast and uh, a lot of my newer friends are spread all over the place. Uh, so I spend a lot of time doing virtual stuff like uh, tabletop role playing games. That's very easy to set up and very easy to do in um uh, a remote setting. But uh, before the pandemic, my wife and I would actually have a regular date night of going out to uh, a, you know, a couple local places that have huge libraries of board games and they have beers on tap and, and nice you know, appetizers and things. And we would just sit for two or three hours and try different games. And some of them we liked so much that we'd go out and buy and put them into our collection. So that's kind of like, I think the extent of it currently, but growing up, my sister and I were I think I mentioned at the top of the episode that I come from a very like sheltered background and we were so bored sometimes having to be indoors and we didn't have, you know, a DVD player and we only had one television. We didn't have cable and we kind of lived out in the country a little bit. And so we didn't have a lot of neighbors or friends. We couldn't just run around. So we spent hours creating our own board games, even doing so on vacation. Like when we'd go to the lake for like, you know, a week or something on vacation, uh, we would bring like extra pieces of cardboard and paper and pens and crowns and colored pencils and markers. And we would sit and create our own sort of, I think all of these were loosely based on games like Candyland, where you just have the like one trail that kind of <laughs> yeah. goes through. Yeah, yeah, so we weren't, we weren't incredibly inventive, but uh, we were definitely using our imagination. And we would sit and we'd create little meeples, um, like cut them out and draw faces on them and little tokens and the uh, way too complicated rules. And we would almost it would almost always evolve into like a fight or an argument about how to actually play the game that we created <laughs> and so i think we probably ended up getting it all taken away from us at one point until we would like calm down and then we could return 
But yeah, so growing up, board games were extremely formative because for me, it was a way to escape the boredom of just being trapped indoors. That and books, right, were my two like major go-tos for trying to like, you know, that escapism that I needed as a child to, to fill the void in my imagination. So I love how your kind of affinity for board gaming, for tabletop uh, RPGs, things like this, is kind of birthed out of almost like this restrictive manner. But uh, so for me, I grew up uh, on probably your typical board games, your, your trouble, your Candyland, and, and things like that. When I was really young, uh, I know. Uh, in a previous conversation, Mathar, you said that uh, your family also was an Uno family. Uh, mm -hmm. So was mine. Uh, a couple of games that were really highlights for for me growing up. I remember uh, we played a ton of Trivial Pursuit. I don't know what they were. There were probably some seventies or eighties like editions. Uh, so I I, I, I might know. have some good knowledge of like that. Sounds so unfun for a kid, but it's cool, I guess. I hey, still have two of the boxes that that are like heirlooms in my family. I guess I love that. And one of our favorite games growing up, believe it or not, well, this is one I would play with my mom, and she actually really enjoyed this. It was called Mastermind. I don't know if anybody remembers this game, but you had heard like of this. It. Yeah, you had this and Othello. <laughs> I used to play Othello like oh, crazy, dang. which yeah, is also yeah. not a yeah. game designed for kids. But I loved that game so much. So I totally relate, Jeremy. Yeah, and there's another one uh, that was certainly from the 70s. It's 100%. And it was a, a variation of chess, and it's actually called Smess, the Ninny's Chess. <laughs> uh, and I I think I wow. still have that as well. Um, I have to look this I, up. Yeah, look on eBay or something like that, because you can probably get some, some old one. But no one, they haven't reprinted it or anything like that, so... Yeah, kind of some random, you know, Trivial Pursuit and Smess uh, from the 70s. Uh, I don't know why we played 70s games when I was growing up, but, yeah. uh, but we did. So there you go. there's my childhood in uh, board gaming. And then I guess like as you progress, you know, adolescence and stuff, I started getting into like Settlers of Catan and it, and it really broadened into kind of the more complex uh, Stonemaier type games that are honestly way more fun than Trouble and Candyland. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to when my kids are just a little bit older, like um, my four-year-old to get a little older so I can play like those kind of games. Because as a kid, I mean, I think my parents, you know, they wanted me and my sister to play board games. Like that's, they, they really wanted to uh, share those with us. And I'm actually looking forward to that same experience with my son, my oldest son, I should say, who's four. But I'm like really weary of it because for me growing up, board games were like, do I really have to <laughs> like, cause I have ADHD. Like I never could sit still as a kid and sitting still and learning rules and trying to apply them. It was frustrating. Uh, still kind of is like, I actively did not like most board games, uh, like shoots and ladders, really straightforward stuff like that. Like, okay, just throw it down. Let me play it and maybe play around. I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to run outside and play basketball now. So they didn't really ever play a huge role in my life, even though my parents tried to make me sit down and play them uh but we did play uno a lot another big uno family and i actually enjoyed that i don't know it's been like maybe 10 years since i played uno i'm not sure if i'd like it but we'll see maybe you'll, you'll still like it you think so oh yeah it's a okay. great game okay cool uh but that's a card game obviously not a board game but no not it's, until we're talking Jimmy... about tabletop gaming right and i think it's still like cards yeah tabletop gaming includes like you know role-playing board games card games i think it all is is part and parcel of it's the all, idea yeah for me though, like the only time a board game is stuck is I think it was probably we're in our mid to late twenties. Jeremy, is that correct? Probably, 
Probably mid twenties. Mid twenties. So our, one of our guys uh, in our crew bought a house and he was single and he was like, let's come over every Friday night. I'm going to do a game night. We're like, okay, sure. Whatever. We kind of humored him the first couple of times. Cause we're like, that sounds lame. But, <laughs> but <laughs> we would go over and I, I think the first, not the first time, but the second or third time he broke out risk. I was like, I'd never played risk. I have no clue. And I got so into it. I downloaded the app on my phone so I could play it and practice to try to beat you guys. It just became this thing <laughs> where like I would anticipate risk nights and we did this for probably almost two years. Like it was a two year thing we did risk. Yeah. And it was, was every it the Friday same game night. or were you guys to have multiple games back to back? Um, we would usually run through games quick. Like we got efficient enough to where a game would take about three hours ish, three to four. Oh, I'd always heard so, that risk games could go on a really long time, kind of like Monopoly, but it can. it can, you can do stalemates and just start fresh. And usually that happened a few times where, you know, about four hours in, like someone's like, I got to go and like, okay, cool. I just stalemate this one. Um, but no, every Saturday night, uh, we would get together and I remember these just getting super crazy because risk is like i've told people in the past like oh i like to play risk and like you still are friends with those people like because those <laughs> risk often dissolves into shouting matches <laughs> i can relate i love this game because it's based off chance because it's a roll of the die game but there's also a strategy that you implement yourself but it's like a 50 50 chance and strategy kind of working together mm-hmm. and the strategy can be completely disowned by the chance element of the game which i love but also is infuriating because you can have the best strategy and then roll a die and then all of a sudden it just all goes to hell. So either way, I remember one time, Jeremy, I had, I'm for risk players out there, this is, you for non-risk players, excuse me, this might be really boring, but I'm going to tell a story about And Jeremy. for risk players, so, this might be triggering. <laughs> okay, yeah. So <laughs> I have a great fortification in South America. Jeremy is coming over into Brian Brazil from Africa. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the the most uh, Western continent of Africa and risk right now. It's escaping me, but uh, uh, Western country, excuse me, from Africa. But you're coming over, you're crossing the land bridge into Brazil. And I'm like, Jeremy, like, what are you doing right now? Like, this is my only, I'm landlocked here and I have nowhere else to go. And I have no other armies on the board. We are 20 minutes into a game that's going to take four hours and you're trying to get in. I'm like, I'm trying to bar- like bargain with Jeremy in this in real time, like saying, don't do this. Please don't do this. I have nowhere else to be. I will be out of the game if you do this. And you had you, for somehow you had built up this really quickly built up this great uh, board like in, in, in Africa and you're coming in to South America. And I'm like, Jeremy, stop. And then I'm like, and you start taking over my country. I'm like, Jeremy, please stop. And like, you're taking over, like, just go somewhere else. Like, just let me p- at least play the game, even if you like, and then you're like, no. And I'm like, and you literally eradicate me from the game. It is 25 minutes into the game. I am done. I go over and I'm so bitter and angry. I'm yelling at Jeremy, but I'm playing Wii because that's like, this is how long ago this is. I'm playing Mario Kart on Wii. And I was like, you bastard, like you kicked me out of the game. Like that was yelling behind me while I'm playing Mario Kart, just yelling at Jeremy oh for kicking God. me out of risk. The, and what's so, so funny is like, I'm hearing you tell the story and I can absolutely picture it because I can also see Jeremy not really getting that worked out being like, hey, what do you want from me? We're playing the game. This is the rules. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're the rules. I'm abiding by the rules i'm like well yeah but now i'm just not such, there with you playing such the game a silver such a silver move right there yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you, you, do you remember that story oh i yes now that you tell it i do remember yeah, it i was so mad you, you were very upset with i me. was because i i was you guys were all sitting at the table and i was like just the other room yeah. it sucked 
I'm going to flip this table. (laughs) Like like I said, triggering. (laughs) What do you have to say for yourself, huh? I I don't feel bad at all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you win that night? It's like the two of you speculated. (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. I I think I mean I took first or second for sure that that match I don't I don't recall if I won wow but, um, wow but I took Phil out with, with I just drank really beer quickly. I drank beer and uh, played Mario Kart for the rest of the night and uh, set a uh, set a time trial record on Steve's Wii for Rainbow Road <laughs> on, on the hardest mode <laughs> hey that's an accomplishment yeah the lesson uh, you should take away from this Philip is uh, you gotta come with more to bargain you gotta actually have something worth bargaining uh, if you're gonna do that you uh, you you waited too long to start bargaining in that game yeah not for sure it was my bad i i shouldn't have put all my eggs in one basket and so it was it was me oh i love that story so much um that did not happen when we played the uh, red rising board game so (laughs) thankfully it did not devolve into a shouting match um but let's talk about that a little bit uh that's what we're here for to share our experience uh with the uh, new stonemeyer games red rising board game which is um i'll just give everyone a quick like uh rundown of what that is um so it exists in the universe of red rising obviously it's based on pierce brown's uh dystopian science fiction fantasy novels um so you represent a house attempting to rise to power um and then you are the idea is that you're assembling like an assortment of followers so it's it's kind of it's hand management combo building uses mechanics found in games such as fantasy realms uh libertalia and a game called gugong which i've never played but that's like kind of the removing and gaining cards so you are building that deck over the course of the game so it employs uh strategy and tactics there is a bit of like randomness in uh the mix which we can talk about or if you want to see how the game is actually played and see like learn more about the components that go into it check out our youtube channel and you'll see a video uh, an unboxing where we go through like all the components of the game and then an actual playthrough where uh philip jeremy and i sit down and actually play it for the very first time um but what you get inside the box is a massive deck of character cards which you use to build your your hand which we didn't even make it halfway through in our first playthrough so it's it's really huge and you get six different house tiles which determine some of your bonuses um you also get uh helium tokens which are represented by these little red gems that are cool and then if you have the collector's edition you get these uh awesome pieces these metal cubes which represent your influence um you get a token that represents the sovereign it's gold painted it's it's shaped like the sovereign uh emblem uh sigil it's really really cool and then you get like a a first player token like a little crescent moon and some uh a custom red rising die that helps you determine little bonuses and you get uh, little metal ships that represent your fleet, which are also part of the, the the advancement. So there are a lot of really cool components that come in that collector's edition. Um, and actually, if you bought the standard edition and you want to upgrade, you can get a kit for all of those components through the publisher's website. So uh, we'll put that link in the description. But yeah, that's the nuts and bolts of of what we we played. And uh, so, what were your guys's like? opinions first of all of like unboxing and seeing and holding all of those little components for the first time like what was your general reaction to like uh, the tactile experience in the game yeah it's it's like you said the the tactile experience is the first one you you end up with i remember uh especially you know when we were editing the video uh I, we, we were scratching the box because even the even the box itself has a this nice like kind of friction to the uh mm-hmm. to whatever it's it printed makes that with. zippy little noise <laughs> yeah i like that zippy noise and then uh i even right now in my hand i have those pieces those institute pieces and um and the fleet piece and there's just such a wonderful weight to them and 
for anyone that plays board games, there's nothing worse than just a cheap, hollow plastic meeple or something like that where right. where you, you you can't even feel it. Like I mean, even in Monopoly, it's like everyone wants those additions with the metal pieces to play with. So, you know, Stonemaier really delivered on this. Uh, everything has a great weight to it. Um, you know, even something so simple as they have like a crescent moon to indicate the who who uh, the first player is. And even that has that nice weighty metal feel to it. Uh, the cards are beautiful. The, the uh, gold foil inlay. Uh, it, it it was pretty much really exciting to just kind of go through everything. Uh, first go around and see what the collector's edition held. I have no doubt that the standard edition is also has that much love put into it. Um, so, you know, I'd be interested to hear like what people's experiences are. And there's probably a lot of people that are playing the digital version. So if you can't play this game uh, in person with people, we understand. So there's actually, if you go to tabletopia.com, there is a digital version available for sale there. I think actually if you make, a, you can create a an account and you get like a free week to try things out. And so if this is something you're interested in and you just can't afford or don't have anyone to play with uh, the, in the physical realm then you can <laughs> the physical realm if you can't afford the physical edition and you don't have anybody to play with at home you can actually jump online and play the automa which is the solo version or you can like invite your friends uh remotely to sit at the table and play with you but i have no doubt that the same uh, love and craftsmanship is put into like every version of the game but i i have to agree like as someone who did grow up playing monopoly same thing that my reaction to like how the weight of the collector's edition pieces was like whoa this mm -hmm. is so like immediately drawn in right it's, it's very good one thing that we got to talk about is the cards um that, that's like the first thing that i wanted to see the first thing that i wanted to experience i want to hold in my hand and the reason why is because uh there's a couple reasons a personal reason and there's also a reason of just general interest with red rising the general red rising interest one is that you know you this is the first time we've had some things that are I, I'm, I'm not sure if i could say canon but they're definitely official there's another like personal reason is because i love comic books mm -hmm. i love i mean and a lot of reasons i love comic books i'm always looking for really honestly like sometimes the story for me is secondary to the artistry like Jim Lee, for example, anyone that knows comics, uh, Jim Lee is a huge name, does a lot of Batman comics, does them insanely well. I have a tattoo of a Jim Lee Batman on my leg. Uh, there's other Batman uh, animators and illustrators that I love, Tim Sale, Jeff Loeb, uh, a few, that's just name a few. But that's just like, I'm deeply interested in a depiction of something that I love and what it's going to look like. And then also, in addition to that, like I like, I like holding comics or like graphic novels. I like holding the card i'm holding another card right now the victor card and the gold foil and the gold inlays on the side are just some of the coolest feeling looking things ever in a board game and again this is from someone that doesn't really i'm not a board game person i'm just not but this feels more like a comic book to me in that same way which is good because that is something that i do like that i can kind of relate to i can pick this up and i can feel like i'm having that same immersive experience like i would with a comic book even though it's set in a different world or a different purpose which is for a board game well yeah we were definitely going to like spend way too much time like we kept finding ones that we liked and like <laughs> oh right oh here's trig oh, you know and there were ones that we didn't find in the unboxing that we found in the playthrough that like i got really excited about and like oh i want to see mm -hmm. that one you know so it was it it was um if you're a fan of the series right if you're a fan of games i think there's a lot to love here but if you're a fan of the red world of red rising then there is a whole other side to it right you'll want to just leaf through those i can see people making house rules that don't even involve the not that the game is complicated 
but don't don't even involve the the more tactile aspects of the game like like you know moving pieces or playing on the board i could see someone inventing a version of this game and i, I just speak from experience as a kid my sister and i would invent new ways to play games that we got bored with i could totally see someone inventing a new way to play just using the deck of cards because so much love and attention was put into a massive stack of character cards characters that we never see in the books like you know ideas that we never see in the books like that are represented in this uh game so if you're a fan of the world this is an essential part of your collection because it really does deepen the lore and and bring you in Shout out to Miles, uh, Miles Binsky. We we know that artist who uh, was one of the uh, the head uh, people over there for doing illustration for that uh, wonderful job, Miles. I know that you uh, you listen and we're we're fascinated with your work and you did you did amazing. This is really good. Also, want to make sure we mention uh, Justin Wong and Jackie Davis, the other two artists that worked alongside uh, Miles to make this game come out. And I I completely agree. I mean, you're right. We were really anticipating breaking those card packs open and, and going through them. To your point, Matthew and I were talking about the editing process on that video, and we're going to have to gut a lot of that out because we just sat there and spent so much time just staring at cards. And it's like, in retrospect, you're like, ah, a couple. We're, we're going to leave some in, but people don't want to just watch us read cards all I'm night most, long. I'm the most guilty of that because you guys did the unboxing video, and I was touching and experiencing the game at, for the very first time in that moment so i was the one like hey look at this and i'd put it underneath the overhead camera and i'd like just like kind of let it linger there and i'd read the card or i'd do it's hard not yeah, to so it's hard not to yeah. that was that was my that was it on me hard not to yeah well let's talk about the actual gameplay and the experience of it i know we're kind of we're getting there we're kind of building up to that point so mathar as far as just like the experience of playing the game and and how that went mechanically or whatever you want to talk about what was the experience of playing the game with the three of us like for you um, so there were a lot of things that, that affected, I think, how I felt about the playthrough, which was positive. I felt great. I had such a good time. Uh, I was, you know, again, it's hard not to mention the fact that I had not hung out with anybody like in person. I think you were some of the first people that I'd seen face to face in well over a year, year and a half because of living in Phoenix and, uh, being in the middle of the pandemic. So, uh, to get to see friends in person and play a board game, awesome. Uh, the fact that we were recording it made me a little nervous and probably like, you know, I didn't get the same experience that I would have if I was just sitting around, you know, having a beer and, you know, with a group of people. Uh, I wished that we had played it through once before we hit record because I, I was so immersed in like both the lore, like on the cards and like, you know, the overall trying to develop a strategy in the game that it was difficult to feel like I was giving like the viewing audience the attention that they deserved. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I wish that we had done that instead. But overall, um, yeah, I was just thrilled to be sitting and playing a game and having just finished the first trilogy. I was really, really excited to get a look, you know, what a lot of these characters you know, compare what I saw in my mind with what I saw in the cards, because I was avoiding character art for fear of spoilers online uh, for the longest time, which most of the character art mm -hmm. is centered around characters in the first trilogy. So I was really, really uh, like sensitive to that. And, and this was exciting. I have to say, though, I wasn't disappointed by anything I saw, except maybe 
Victra a little bit. That wasn't how I saw. I saw her as having like locks, curly locks. I thought she had like mm-hmm. was described as having curly hair, and uh, definitely Ragnar was not at all how I pictured him. Like I have a very specific image in my yeah. mind of Ragnar, and so that was really different. But not to say that it's bad. Just it was really cool to see the interpretations of all these characters for the first time. Um, so yeah, that was. That, that's my experience in a nutshell. And I won. So, yeah. uh, well, wait, I guess I shouldn't spoil it. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You can win. You can say it again if you want to later. Um, I had a really good time as well. Victor actually is described, Mathar. I know it's just, it's, it's, you just made it for the f- series for the first time as jagged hair. Jagged. Okay. Which I'm looking at the Victor card. I think, I think it actually does an okay job. Again, there's, the hard thing with fan art is that one, you have your own headcanon of what characters mm-hmm. look like. You're reading a book, right? There's yep. no visual. And the other thing is, there is a lot of different depictions through fan art. So you might attach yourself to one over another right. and, and vice versa and you get attached. So again, I think that all the art is great and I love that there's different interpretations, but I'm the same as you. There's a, the Roke one. It didn't really match. It doesn't match my own headcanon for what Roke looks like Ragnar as well. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of them that I found, like I was like, this is so it's good. And this is so good. Like I, I'm I'm all the way in and this is my new Gotta call it I, I can't remember those. Yeah, tact- oh, see that, yeah, I remember actually in the unboxing video going, hey, where's my Tactus, kind of, or, and I was off camera, yeah. and you guys were like, and, and then, <laughs> yeah, and then, um, and then you held it up, and I was like, champ, I just said champ, like, in the background, because <laughs> um, that Tactus is probably one of the best, if not the best depiction I've seen of it's that so character. Good. Yeah. Um, perfect, um, but as far as just the, the playthrough, uh, again, someone that's not a board game type person, uh, someone that doesn't spend time doing that other outside that those few years I played risk with with Jeremy and Steve <laughs> and these other friends. I had a really good time. I thought that it was quick to pick up on. I'm intimidated by board games. That's one of the reasons I don't like to play them. Um, again, ADHD and like having to learn a set of rules and learn them quickly. And also having a lot of friends that are really quick learners in a lot of ways. So uh, board games are, are intimidating to me because of that, because of like, there's a quick learning curve. Okay. I read the rules with sit down and play and I'm like, uh, you know, but I just really enjoyed, I really enjoyed playing with you guys. I think that that experience, if I played this with anyone else, I wouldn't have had as much fun, but I really enjoyed that. Jeremy, uh, what about you? What was a kind of a, how's that playthrough experience like? Yeah, the playthrough was great. You know, not just because it was with the two of you, but you said it right now it's a low kind of barrier of entry. And I really appreciate that about this game. It it did enable us. Yes, Mathar is correct. Like had we played it once before, just to kind of feel it out and then jump back in as a group, it would have been better. But it wasn't 100% necessary because it is a easy to play game uh, in its basic structure. And I, and I always appreciate tabletop games that are like that. You can just jump in, figure it out on the fly. But what's really cool about this is is that that strategy, that comboing, that mm-hmm. kind of what you have to sort of know, not only like what colors mix, but like also just special mechanics on the cards. I mean, I, I was able to, I, I know for sure, I was like really lagging and I had the capability of getting a major bonus with like a, a three card combo. And I just chased that for probably the the last 10% of the game. And I, I was like, ride or die on this thing <laughs> and that was really exhilarating really fun and i ended up getting it and that's just mm-hmm. like you know the satisfaction that gave me so i know that you know if you take this and continue and just learn these these synergies uh the game is just going to be all the more enjoyable so it's like easy to learn near impossible to master and, and i think that's a great concept for any game yeah jeremy i watched you from the other side of the table 
uh, I watched your gears turning, right? I've gotten to know you well enough that I can see when you're like, cha- <laughs> you know, and I thought I was, I thought I had a pretty sizable lead early on in the game. I had, you know, a couple of boons that were just very like fortunate, right? Because there is some luck involved. Um, so I had some good gets and I thought like I grasped the strategy of the deck building, like the hand building or hand management as it's called uh, pretty quickly. And then I would like look over and I saw you very quietly, <laughs> sort of like you were very quiet and I could tell, you know, he's starting to like really see something that he wants to go after, right? You're starting to build this momentum that made me very fearful for that lead that I had. I think I had a couple of good moves and I was like, oh, this is going to be close. And it ended up being six points away, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I watched you. And what's really interesting is the reason I want to point that out is because Philip's experience is very different. I don't think Philip was thinking, you know, much about like strategy so much as about aesthetic and like you wanted certain cards, right? Because you wanted that character to you meant something and you wanted to see the artwork mm-hmm. and you were obsessed over just like the... Uh, the execution of the artwork and the way that the game is played for you, like I said, you didn't have to really think about it. We consulted the rules a couple times throughout the gameplay, but overall, at no point where you're like, I have no idea what was going on. You were like, wait, so I go, okay, perfect, right? It was easy to keep you involved in the game and you still had a really good experience because I think mm-hmm. just every card has something to offer. You want, you know, you read a little something in like the uh, the flavor text and you get to look at the artwork. And so watching your two experiences on the opposite end of the spectrum was really interesting from where I was sitting. I want to do one last thing. Uh, I want to just kind of offer a final thought um, before we go or before we get going, we'll kick it to the review section. Uh, let's start with Mathar. Do you have like one final thought you've kind of been holding on to possibly until right now? Um, so so my final thought is that I, I think I kind of said it already, but just to reiterate is um, if you are a fan of strategy games, um, if you're a fan of wargaming, even even though this is not a war game by any means, but if I would say if you're a fan of, um, you know, any kind of combat or strategy game, this definitely scratches that itch in like a much more compact sort of like if you don't have the space to spread out like risk, you know, this definitely scratches that itch. And if you're a fan of Red Rising and don't know much about board games or are concerned about getting into like a complicated board game, um, this is a must have because my, my final thought is that mm-hmm. like, I, I can't not own all of this entire deck of cards because it's essential to me to completing sort of like my, my head canon or, or official canon of what the world of red rising looks like, right. Having, you know, finished the first trilogy working on the second one, I absolutely have to read every one of those cards. So, uh, I guess mm-hmm. that's, that's my final thought and takeaway. Yeah. You said it's kind of a, an essential for a red rising fan. I completely agree. One thing, you know, Hail Reaper loves the Red Rising community and we want it to grow larger. So I love that it kind of has this dual purpose, right? Where not only if you love Red Rising, is this an essential game and you have to get it. But on the other side, if you have loved ones, if you have just board game fans in general, mm-hmm. that I mean, it, it the the mechanics, the, the fact that it's a hand management game or deck builder, however you want to call it. Like that just works for anybody. You don't have to know the characters. You don't have to know anything right. about Red Rising to get into this. And you can actually make fans from people. They might just fall in love with the cards or the art and say, you know what? I want to give this book series a chance. And we can just grow the community through getting uh, board gamers <laughs> into this thing. And I, I love the fact that it works for that. My final thought is that I want to go back to the game itself. I really liked that there was different ways to win or different ways to, I guess not win, different ways to conclude the game. I know that that's a more a common, but I, again, that's kind of new for me as a novice. 
but like you could have um, a fleet, you know, you could increase your fleet, you can increase your institute tokens, or you could have a certain, I can't remember the exact thing, but you had to, you could be holding the sovereign token by X point. So there's like different, three different ways to effectively end the game. I love variety. I need variety. If it's, if it's just a singular, like I'm going from point A to point B, like driving a car, I'm just not going to want to play that again over and over and over. What is going to make me want to play a game like the Red Rising board game is that every game is going to feel unique than the last one. And I don't think I'm going to encounter a lot of repetition, but games like we described at the top, like we described, you know, those candy lands or shoots and ladders or whatever like that. Or I know that other games like Catan and Risk are like that. They're, they're unique to themselves, but I love the fact that this was Red Rising and it's not just point A to point B. Here's how the game starts. Here's how it ends. Here's these different things you can do within this world. Here's these combos you can lay down. I'm, I think that's what it's choices. It's making your own choices. It's making your own choices with the characters and having them in your deck or in your in your hand or in your kind of group. And I kind of found, like Mathar mentioned, that I was obsessed with just ending the game, not winning, but ending the game with the characters that I wanted to end with. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good way to win a game, but it was a fun way to play a game for <laughs> someone who loves Red Rising and cares about it and cares about specific characters. So that was definitely my final thought. And I, I really appreciate the the hard work and the care that went into the creation. So again, shout out to Stonemeyer. Yeah, kudos to Stonemeyer for creating a beautiful, accessible game with what we all agree has tons of replay value. So well done. Jeremy, do we have a review? We do. We have a five-star review. Uh, so this week we're doing like Levi Strauss pants. That's what we're going to try on. <laughs> and it makes me think of the California gold rush of the mid-1800s. Five tens? However. Five of ones. Ha- me. Yeah. However, uh, I don't know. Like, So then we're going to shift to like the Yukon gold rush mm. because in the middle is Canada. And I'm sure they had a gold rush. I'm sorry, Canadians. I don't, I don't know much about your gold rush history. Let's but say I'm they sure did. you did. Let's say they did. Yeah. And you'll probably wear Levi's too. So that's why I bring this up because this review is from Canada uh, this week and is from uh, listener AC Pens. Uh, the review title is called Fantastic wow. with an exclamation mark. So, Ooh. Thank you. All right. So here we go. Well, I'm going to start reading this thing. No, you're not. <laughs> Wait, I was so I was like, I'm so excited. I was like, "Wait, is he gonna get to read it in a real voice?" And then he's gonna sudden, let me do almost, it. Nope. Almost. I'm not gonna be too hard on you. I'm gonna give you less of a voice, more of an affectation. Since this review's from Canada, I'm gonna ask you to do your best Mountie, uh, your traditional, oh, that's a good quintessential, one. That's a good one. Uh, Midwest Mountie Canadian kind of a vibe. Uh, this is your Great White North, <laughs> if you will. Throw some okay. Tim. Here throw a Tim Horton reference in there if you can too. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Lots of don't you knows. We're, lots yeah, of we're doing gravy on fries. <laughs> we're going to Tim Horton. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. So here we go. All right. Uh, sorry there. Let me let me start this. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, when I first started reading the book back in 2014, and even before that, uh, waiting for this book to be released, uh, storytelling for me. Oh, sorry. Let me do that again. Uh, <laughs> Storytelling for me was taken to new heights, uh, and I'm gl- <laughs> oh, man, I'm losing the accent. <laughs> Don't you know? Get there. off your high horse, uh, there. Oh yeah, I'm I'm glad to see uh, more and more people falling in love with uh, this book. There, uh, that gave me so much excitement 
uh, with every <laughs> single page. Yeah, don't you know? Uh, sorry. <laughs> well done. Well done. Sorry well done, is well right. Well done, sorry well is right for, for murdering you. that review. <laughs> yeah, sorry is going to be I'll the name of the next review that the, this person leaves. <laughs> and it's going to be sorry I was wrong. <laughs> so offensive. AC Pens, uh, as an apology from me, uh, I want to send you a bookmark all the way to Canada. So uh, hit us up, mm-hmm. uh, however you want to do it. Uh, you can email us at hailreaperpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Instagram, our Twitter, uh, at your local grocery store, or your Tim Hortons, and just let us know what your address is so I can get this thing in the mail to you. Thank you so much, Stonemeyer, for sending us a copy of this game to play. We really loved it, and we hope that more people buy it once they hear this podcast. Until next time, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper is a production of Catacomb Party. Thanks to Pierce Brown for creating this universe, and thanks to all the contributors who make this show possible. We were engineered by Joshua Ramsey, with editing and sound design by Math Ardelion. The bit of music you're hearing right now was written and produced by Sahab. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And follow at HailReaperPod on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for updates, giveaways, and more. You can support the show directly by joining our Patreon community, where we issue monthly bonus content, exclusive artwork, and hang about with all the howlers in the Discord. Visit patreon.com slash HailReaper to learn more. This is Broadcast signing off. Until next time, hail the gory damn Reaper. (laughs) 